Broadway for Friday, April 5th, 2019. I am Broadway World's Matt Tamanini. And I am Broadway star's James Marino. James, this is one of those unusual circumstances that we have just about every time that I uh, go to New York. We recorded on Thursday morning. I was in Long Island City. I am now recording on Thursday night from uh, Central Florida. It's a weird thing to record two episodes like 20 hours apart but 1,000 miles apart. So here we are. I am back home safe and sound. Uh, and I did have a lot of people asking me for why I wasn't talking about certain shows uh, here on Today on Broadway. And as I've done in the past, like if I saw something during previews, I probably won't talk about it here um, unless it was kind of late in previews. And if I do, I'll wait until it's opened, even if I bought a ticket for it. Um, however, um, that's just out of courtesy. So if you have questions about specific shows, I'm totally free with talking about them on social media. So if you have a question, please uh, feel free to ask. And then when certain shows open, uh, whether on Broadway or off, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about them when it's appropriate. If I saw it late enough in previews, if I saw like the first week or so of previews, I don't know that that would be appropriate, but still toe taps to uh, talk about them on the social meds. I'm not sure what you kids mean by that stuff, but... Uh... <laughs> I'm not a kid. Oh, I am far, <laughs> far from it. Who else is not a kid? Uh, well, Glenda Jackson. Glenda Jackson's not a kid, but she opened on Broadway tonight, didn't she? She sure did. She opened in the latest revival of William Shakespeare, up-and-coming playwrights uh, King Lear. Um, it is, of course, directed by Sam Gold, features original music by Philip Glass. In, additional, in addition to Glenda Jackson, it stars the great Jane Howdyshell, Elizabeth Marvel, uh, John Douglas Thompson, uh, Ruth Wilson, Aisling O'Sullivan, Pedro Pascal, Michael Arden in his Broadway acting return, um, Sharn Carvajal, and more. Um, and James, as I kind of expected, the reviews um, are a little bit all over the place with uh, any kind of Sam Gold um, reinvention of a classic. But let's start with the gray lady herself with The New York Times and Ben Brantley, who did not, at least as of now, make the show a critic's pick. He opened his article by saying, quote, could we please have a little quiet? There's a great actress on stage at the court theater, and I'd like to hear what she's saying. That was the way I felt during much of Sam Gold's production of King Lear, which opened on Thursday night with the extraordinary Glenda Jackson in the title role. It should surprise no one that Miss Jackson is delivering a powerful and deeply perceptive performance of the most royally demented of Shakespeare's monarchs. But much of what surrounds her in this glittery, haphazard production seems to be working overtime to divert attention from that performance. That includes a perfectly lovely, lovely string quartet playing original music by Philip Glass, no less, that under other circumstances, I would have enjoyed listening to. Here, though, this intermittent concert seems to be competing with, rather than underscoring, Shakespeare's bleakest tragedy. The same might be said of Miriam Buther's blindingly gold set, lighted to the seer with eyes by Jane, uh, Jane Cox, which blazes with nouveau riche vulgarity. Perhaps we are meant to think of the gilded surfaces of Trump pleasure domes, though I'm not sure that's the intention. To be honest, I'm not sure of a lot of the intentions behind the choices here. That includes those of many of the supporting players who include the formidable likes of Ruth Wilson, Elizabeth Marvel, Jane Howdy Shell, and John Douglas Thompson. By and large, the, per the performances seem to have been blown into uneasy coexistence by random winds from different directions. So... He kind of says what a lot of the other critics are going to end up saying here, James, that 
Glenda Jackson is fantastic. A lot of the other parts are really good, but they just don't make sense together. However, Marilyn Stasio from Variety gave the entire show from top to bottom, design, performances, everything, uh, rave reviews, but specifically about the leading lady. She said, quote, Shakespeare nailed it. Though she be little, she is fierce. Glenda Jackson may look frail, but the 82-year-old legend performs the noble task of rescuing director Sam Gold's rickety Broadway production of Shakespeare's greatest tragedy. To be sure, the salvage job is all technique, but although Jackson fails to wring tears, let alone blood from this production, the sheer intelligence of her performance makes it memorable. Adam Feldman from Time Out in New York gave the show three out of five stars, uh, kind of focusing on everybody else in the cast other than Jackson. He said, quote, Gold's production is full of interesting directorial choices that do not quite cohere into a shared universe for King for King Lear's inhabitants to uh, characters to inhabit. The subtle Ruth Wilson plays Cordelia with soulful, depressive interiority in a wide stroke of casting. She doubles as the fool while the hyper intense Ainsley uh, Aisling O'Sullivan as Reagan looks at every moment like lasers are about to shoot from her eyes. Jane Howdy Shell, John Douglas Thompson and Dion Johnston offer conventional turns as the plays Lear loyalists. Sean Carvajal flails through the thankless role of Edgar. The Duke of Cornwall is played in a kilt by deaf actor Russell Harvard with Michael Arden signing translation. So again, James, it looks like there's a ton going on in this. Doesn't always coalesce um, around whatever it is that that Sam Gould was trying to do. But nonetheless, like we said with Three Tall Women, getting the chance to see Glenda Jackson on a Broadway stage doing anything in any production is probably worth the time and money for the ticket. Although this one might not be as fully realized as Three Tall Women was last year. All right. What do you think the is and did anybody mention what they thought the commercial outlook for this was? Uh not in the reviews. It's not doing super well in the um in the recent grosses, but I, I think this is one of those things where Scott Rudin produces it because he likes the artists involved, Sam Gold, Glenda Jackson. He obviously has worked with both in the past. Um, I don't think that he necessarily envisioned this as doing as well as um, Three Tall Women did last year, but uh, I think he believes in these artists, so I think he's okay with, with that as long as um, it's not a complete and utter loss. Something I do I do think is interesting, James, you know who happens to be one of the down the list producers of this show is one candy spelling looking to get into the uh, theatrical uh, producing game. Not her first time, but uh, um, she's got a, a couple shows on Broadway this year that she's uh, investing in this Hillary and Clinton Tootsie. She's a, a part of Moulin Rouge coming up. She's a, a regular contributor to Rudin shows. All right. So uh, what do we have up next? We have a lawsuit that claims that Cindy Lauper lifted parts of Raise You Up for a Kinky Boots anthem. Yeah, James, we have heard about this type of thing uh, occasionally, not infrequently. But this one is a little different with a songwriter claiming a more famous songwriter of stealing something from their song. So last night, our friend Mark Hirschberg reported in Forbes about an ongoing lawsuit surrounding Kinky Boots' uh, signature song, I think it's fair to say. In the suit, songwriters Benny Mardonis and Robert Tepper claimed that Cindy Lauper violated copyright laws when she wrote the show's finale, Raise You Up. Now, what makes this different than a lot of the other times we hear about this is that when we've heard about it in the past, like the one with that super random Spanish song in Let It Go, 
it is super unlikely that the songwriters being sued had ever actually heard the original that was claiming infringement. However, in this case, I think it would be almost impossible for Lopper to say that she's never heard um, the the original song. Um, of course, whether or not that means that there was any infringement is, is a whole other matter because the song in question is the 1980 and 1989 hit Into the Night performed by Mardonis. The song reached number 11 on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1980, and then a re-recording in 1989 went all the way up to number 20. And James, I have to admit, I did not know the song by name. I did not know the performer or songwriters. But I when I clicked over to it on YouTube, I knew the song immediately. Um, and I could sing it, and, and I could hear Raise You Up in there a little bit. There's different tempos, that makes it a little harder. Um, but I was seven when it was re-released. So at that point, Lopper was at the height of her music career. But if I can remember it, certainly she was familiar with that song and um, Mardonis and Tepper's lawyers point out that one of Mardonis's former touring band members has been touring with Lopper for, for quite a while, too. So there's that connection as well. Uh, the lawsuit claims that the hooks of the two songs are, quote, identical in form, harmonic progression and rhythm, and that uh, that notes and some of the lyrics and the refrains are identical, where the Kinky Boots song says, raise you up. The pop song says, pick you up. Uh, I put together little clips for, so you can hear the connections here and you can think about it for yourself. So go ahead and take a listen to that. Mardonis and Tepper want the judge to force Kinky Boots to give them, quote, profits directly and indirectly attributable to the infringement and for the show to stop performing the song. The judge attempted to avoid a trial by having the sides meet with an arbitrator last fall, but nothing apparently came of it. Now, James, I am sure that nothing dramatic will come from this. Uh, as Mark mentions in the article, Kinky Boots has made more than $317 million on Broadway alone as it heads into its closing later this week. And certainly it's made a ton more on its national tour, album sales, and other various international productions. So I would imagine that what we'll see here is that the Kinky Boots producers would give Mardonis and Tepper some money, make them agree in writing that there was no copyright infringement, and then everyone will go upon their merry ways. Hmm... Boy, wow, that's uh, uh, what. What's your opinion on it? I mean, I you said that you it sounded familiar, but yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about a music theory or b copyright laws, but I mean, I hear it. I mean, it's it. There is definitely similarities there. If it's identical, I'll leave that to somebody who knows how to read music. Um, all I know is every good boy deserves fudge. But um, <laughs> you know, if that's you know. I don't know that that necessarily rises to copyright. There's literally, I mean, only so many combinations of notes that you can do. Uh, at some point, something is going to sound like something else, and there are going to be notes repeated. Does that rise to copyright infringement? I, I don't know. I don't know what the law is. I, I don't know. But I 
this is not one of those weird random Spanish YouTube songs that someone says that Robert An- uh, Robert Lopez and Kristen Anderson Lopez based you know let it go on. This is a well known song at the height of when Cindy Lauper was in her peak music career years, and there's other connections between them. So I mean I can at least understand it. This while I think the amounts that they want and the the they want them to stop performing the song i think that's frivolous and probably a negotiating stand uh, you know ploy but just from a grounds basis and a standing basis like i i can understand this one this one makes more sense to me than a lot of the others all i can say is ice ice baby <laughs> Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> we got that extra ding, ding. ding. Yeah, okay. exactly. All right, what do we have in other news? Okay, we got a few things here. Uh, yesterday, Ars Nova announced a limited engagement of their critically lauded show, Underground Railroad Game, uh, a railroad game which was created by Jennifer Kidwell and Scott R. Shepard with Philadelphia-based theater company Lightning Rod Special and directed by Taibi Mager. This uh, new limited run return sh- return run off Broadway will be just 18 performances from May 30th through June 15th at Ars Nova's new Greenwich House. Um, and then also yesterday, James Rattlestick Theater Company announced two world premieres for their 2019-2020 season. First up will be uh, Kusi Cram's Novenas for a Lost Hospital, starring Kathleen Chalfont. And then the other one will be Rendera Santiago's The Siblings Play, directed by Jenna Warsham. And finally, on Thursday, Roundabout Theater Company announced additional casting for this month's one-night benefit reading of Ken Ludwig's adaptation of 20th Century, the play upon which uh, on the 20th Century was based on. Joining the previously announced stars Alec Baldwin and Anne Heche will be Julie Halston, Paul Alexander Nolan, the man, the newly minted Emmy winner Henry Winkler, and Stephen DeRosa. Baldwin and Heche starred in the 2004 uh, Broadway production for Roundabout of the show, and they will be joined by Walter Bobby, who directed that run as well. The, the event will take place on April 29th, on Monday at 7.30 p.m. at Studio 54. Tickets are now on sale. If you would like uh, information on this or any of the other stories in today's show, please check out the show notes at BroadwayRadio.com. Hey. Hey. Matt, why don't you get us out of here? All right. That's cool. Uh, thanks for listening to Today on Broadway. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Matt. It should be a Pinky Tuscadero musical, shouldn't there? <laughs> I, I, I would not mind a uh, – um, 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 oh, um, the Penny Marshall show. Laverne uh, and Shirley? Laverne and, uh, Laverne and Shirley musical oh, yeah. would be fantastic. That, sh- that would be fun. Yeah, that that's, lends itself in the Lenny and Scooby yeah. characters, and mm-hmm. oh yeah, absolutely. Maybe, maybe maybe Michael McKeon could write the music. Ooh, <laughs> he's an, he, he's an Academy Award nominated uh, songwriter, so I, right. I, that makes sense to me. All right, and my name is James Marino from BroadwayRadio.com and BroadwayStars.com. Thanks for spending some of your Friday with us and uh, getting you into the weekend. On Sunday, this week on Broadway, Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia and I will be chatting about uh, a bunch of shows and maybe have a special guest. And uh, on Monday, Matt and I will be back and talk with you then. 